Put on your red toque, and we will hear about a book called The Red Toque, which is written by our longtime friend, Dr. Cindy Adams, the licensed psychologist and professor emerita from the University of Connecticut. Cindy, good morning. Thanks for joining me today, and tell us about The Red Toque, a book of historical fiction. Well, good morning, Wayne. Nice to speak with you. Um, the Red Toque is about uh, a family who was born in Slovenia, and this is a real family. This is a true story. It's called a novel simply because 100% of it is not true. There were places where I had to invent what happened because there's no record of it, and there's no one with a memory of it. So I was trying to be honest and not call it an actual true story. But anyway, this family um, was born in the early 1900s, just in time to witness World War One. At that time, they didn't know it was the first war. They just called it the Great War. And they went through starvation. They lived, uh, Slovenia was part of Austria-Hungary. They lived right underneath Austria and how it always had been a possession of that country. But Austria was kind of on its last legs when it embarked on that war. And by 1918, this family was no longer living in Austria, although they had never moved. They were now living in uh, a country which was called the Kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes, for those who are historically interested in such things. Um, and then it takes them through their youth, much of it very beautiful, some of it humorous, some of it just typical of young people. But at the end of the uh, 1920s, when they were all embarking on fulfilling lives or thought they were, of course, Hitler um, reared his ugly head and they could literally see the... Uh, German craft coming over the Alps, practicing runs against their country, and they knew that Austria had already been attacked and was now part of the German Empire. And so the war, the big war, World War II, was beginning. Two-part question about the title of the book. I called it Toke. It's T-O-Q-U-E. Sounds to me like that's not how you pronounce it. And then part two is what exactly is a toque? I pronounce it toque, but I think either one is correct. Maybe somebody who really knows French uh, will will correct us. That's the way the family had re- had, had referred to it. Um, a red toque is a hat. It's a knit hat, usually a homemade hat, a cap. Um, and in this story, the mother of the, these kids had made them all red toques to protect them because they were on the edge of the woods and there were hunters out there and she wanted to make sure that her kids were easily discernible from a deer so they were to wear these red hats but it plays into the story when uh, the oldest son is captured by the Germans and this is true he's captured by the Germans and he's in a German POW camp and then uh, as he is cleaning up the rubble, uh, as the war progressed, the Americans joined in the war, as we all know, and they were bombing Vienna a lot. And this man was a, a, capti- a captive in Vienna um, be- 
the Germans controlled him, and he was forced to clean the rubble of the Allies left by the bombs. Now, every time the bombs hit Vienna, the prisoners cheered because they knew it was the Allies attacking the Germans, whom, of course, they hated since they were in a German POW camp and treated terribly. But he was out working in the rubble, and he sees some bright red underneath a bunch of bricks, which was near a home that he knew his sister had occupied. And so he has a horrible reaction, thinking it must mean she's gone, but he wants that cap. And so he reaches down in the rubble, and when the guards aren't looking at him, he sticks it inside his shirt. And then it follows him for the rest of the story in a way I won't describe now because it's important to follow the toque with him. And that would answer my next question, which was why you named the book The Red Toque, which I believe you just explained quite clearly. On the cover of the book, you have 11 pictures from that era. Tell me about the origin of those pictures and what some of them show. Okay. Well, in order to help highlight the fact that this was is a true story, I used family the family album of my mother-in-law. Roger Adams, as many of you know him, uh, is half Slovenian, and his mother was one of those six kids in this story. And I took pictures that she had saved and cherished from her childhood, and I used photos that her niece had and one of her um, nephews and a granddaughter of the man I just spoke of who was in the POW camp. These are the living people, the descendants, and they shared photos with me. So at the top you see um, a handsome couple on their wedding day, and then you see them in the the middle center uh, dressed up in their going-away clothes, and he is the man who is the POW. And then the little girl next to them is the daughter that um, he left when he was captured. Cindy, you mentioned Pletna in this book. Can you explain what Pletna is or are? Oh, sure. Uh, Pletna are boats um, that look like kind of um, gondolas uh, in in a smaller set sense, They but they are built to hold more people than many gondolas. They have uh, seats all around the edge of the boat, and they have a roof on them, and uh, somebody will take you around in these, a group of people. On Lake Bled, uh, there's a big island um, which is covered by a church, and the church is is dedicated to um, Maria Theresa, who was the empress of uh, Austria. Uh, it was built before her day, but uh, since she was a good Catholic and the people wanted to make her happy, they, they uh, named the church for her. So Maria Theresa went there many times as a pilgrimage, as a beautiful Catholic church. And many of her followers also wanted to go. Well, you could swim over to the island if you were a very good swimmer, but most people preferred to be taken over. So she had a bunch of these boats commissioned uh, to take people to her island. And during the time of great poverty in Slovenia, she gave the farmers uh, the rights to charge and people to go over and to 
have the rights to those boats in perpetuity for their descendants. So the people who still take folks over to the island in these platina are actually inherited the right to do that from Maria Teresa hundreds of years ago. The subtitle of this book is Love and Loss in the Time of Tito, Tito the Yugoslav Revolutionary. What's the Tito connection? Okay, so during World War II, Tito took control of a group of Slovenians who were called um, the um, Partisans. And the Partisans were both heroes and devils. In heroes in the sense that they wanted to fight the Nazis, and no one could complain about that. And because of that, they fought for the Allies, and Tito took them from being a bunch of sort of vagabonds who would take pot shots and do horrible things here and there, and organized them. And he organized them under communist principles because Tito was a communist. So they became a very important force, and they did help the Allies win the war in that country because they were so good at, at being like guerrillas and getting in there and, and getting the Nazis. The problem was that they embraced communism so completely that at the end of the war, when Tito, the, the Russians were given some of the spoils of the war since they had become allies towards the end, and one of the spoils of the war was the country of Slovenia. Well, Slovenia was before this, and still, a very Catholic country. And no Catholic was going to be a communist, which is against all religion. And certainly they weren't for the Nazis either, because, you know, it's just not within their um, doctrine to be murdering people. Um, so they, they took... Um, over the, the Tito group took over the, the country at the end of the war, and they wanted to get rid of anyone who might have been opposed to them. So all kinds of people were murdered at the end of the war if they had not been partisans, and if they had owned any land of, of consequence, and if they had any kind of a major leadership role, if they had any royal blood, which there was some of in Slovenia, they were all the enemy of Tito because of his communist doctrine. Cindy, you talked earlier about the German POW camps. What did you learn about them, and what do you write about the German POW camps in your book, The Red Took? Okay. Um, they were, at first, they were scant on food, but not horrible. They still fed the prisoners. They were somewhat humane once they'd beaten them badly and thrown them in there. Uh, then times got tougher for the German army, and when they were going hungry, you can imagine the prisoners were barely fed at all. The prisoners often had to eat leftovers that you wouldn't feed to farm animals, is what one of the characters in the book remarks, because most of these uh, captured Slovenians were from farms, and they you know, likened everything to the farm life. Um, the food got less and less until the bombings began by the Americans. And then when they needed the prisoners to be strong enough to work, they um, fed them a little more. But when they died, you know, they didn't dispose of their bodies in a gracious way. 
um, apparently all the hideous things they were known for doing in the in the the camps, um, the concentration camps, they were willing to do, you know, to the prisoners too. So you didn't make mistakes. You followed your orders. You didn't eat much, and you worked very hard. Um, starvation, poor shelter, that, that was the way they lived. This book describes horrors committed at the end of the war after the war was over. What can you say about that? Well, that was the Tito business when the Slovenian POWs, of which there were many, wanted to come home to Slovenia. Uh, Tito didn't want anyone who hadn't been a partisan. He didn't want anyone who was going to say, I don't like communism. He was now in charge of Slovenia, and he wanted those people to be his people. And so if a partisan recognized someone who wasn't one of them, they had carte blanche to do as they wished, and they did terribly cruel things. So you're dealing with some pretty powerful topics here in the Red Toque. Is there a happy ending? You know, I'm talking about six children who grow up. In most cases, there's a happy ending, uh, at least a good ending. Um, but perhaps in one or two cases, it's a little questionable. And I don't want to give away any of the actual surprises, but it, as much as I could adhere to what really happened, I did. And um, and so most of it is happy. Was it different for you writing a standalone book? Because your first three books were part of a trilogy. Right. Although when I wrote the first horror novel, I didn't know that I would write the other two. Um, uh, that came after a, a little thinking. But this book um, just meant a lot to me because it being real and, and not fiction the way the other three were, I had to um, do a lot of research, and since I'm a retired professor, doing the research was really like going home. I, I loved getting the books that told the stories. I loved reading the translations of what Slovenians had said about this time themselves. I even got the diary of King Peter II, who was uh, the king for a short time, during this period, he was so young that he just had ascended to the throne. He was supposedly helping the, the Brits um, and would have, but Hitler jumped in and wanted to get rid of him fast, so he had to flee. And then he was the deposed king for many, many years. So he kept a diary, and that was pretty interesting of his side of things and what strategies the British were using with him to try and get more resistance from the people in Slovenia. Um, you know, it was very, very interesting to do the research for this. I put the bibliography, which you don't usually have for a novel, but I put the bibliography on my website so that anyone who wants to read the original books can see it. And uh, I also interviewed at length the living, surviving children of these people or their grandchildren to get any of the gems of the past that they could share. And there's an accounting of fiction versus reality in the epilogue as well. Cindy, where do people get a copy of The Red Toque? Um, it's on Amazon uh, under The Red Toque. Uh, there's a 
number, I, uh, the number's too long, but the red toque, love and loss in the time of Tito, if you Google that under Amazon.com slash books, you'll get it. Um, you'll get it if you just use Cynthia Adams, I think, also, but you may have to be persistent and use the title of the book and Cynthia Adams together. Um, or you can buy it at the Hoot. And it's good that you asked that question because tomorrow I have a book signing at the Hoot right there in Mansfield, um, just about my favorite dress shop in the whole state. And uh, they have so many other things. But anyway, they're selling books, and I'm uh, doing a talk there tomorrow morning at 11. And at that time, I will sign the books that people purchase. And I'm also going to donate $5 from every book bought that day to Ukrainian children for food um, because I think there's so many similarities between the cruelty of the communists to the Slovenians and what's happening right now in front of our eyes that I've been make Roger and I have been making contributions to them, and this is another way to highlight that cause. Excellent. You can see a copy of the cover of the book at our website, WILI.com. Go to Past Guests Now to see the picture of the red toque cover. So it's written by Cindy Adams. Cindy, always good to catch up. Congratulations on your fourth book. Thank you very much, Wayne. Nice speaking with you. You too. 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.